Hello and welcome to Life and Inside Job. One way of looking at menopause is as a time when we see very clearly what is not working in our lives and naturally this shows up a lot in our intimate relationships. I mean, goodness knows, it's confusing enough for us, but our poor partners often end up feeling even more bemused and abandoned than perhaps we are. So I got together with couples therapist Joanna Groves to find out how to talk to your partner about what's happening to you and also how partners of menopausal people can understand what the hell's going on and how you could move forward together to be an ally. We talk about how to communicate and how to be a good ally for your menopausing partner and also how to heal your sex life too. And I really hope that you could listen perhaps with your partner, accidentally have it on in the kitchen or something like that, and that maybe this could provide a bridge for you to explore into what's happening for each other. Joanna is a rare bird. She's a therapist who is totally down to earth, but can also hold the deeper levels of wounding and trauma that we carry. And she gives us loads of great tips on how to actually cope, like what to do in our relationships when things are tough. And God knows we need that. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning. <laughs> and today we are diving into the wonderful world of menopause for partners because god knows it's confusing enough for the people who are in menopause to know what the hell's going on but let alone for the people who love them and the people they live with or the people that they have a romantic relationship with mm. so what i'd really love to do is to create a little recording that um, will be helpful both for people in menopause to support them to communicate to their mm. partners but also if the partners are open to listening yeah <laughs> conversation they will gather something and if they listen together then then then, then you know then the, the little turtle doves are flying around and everything then we'll be really pleased rinky dink yeah, yeah, you do. So, um, menopause, I think, is particularly tricky for partners because what I hear them, what I hear reported, is that they're not the person they used to be. Yeah, that they experience their partner is very different. Yeah. Do you, do you yeah. Mean? yeah, I think that's what I mean. Like, very often, angry. Yeah, <laughs> they've <laughs> or, changed big change and all lots of the stuff that they have done possibly for years um all the things like emotional labor like a lot mm -hmm. of domestic, if the domestic load has been unequal um the taking care of parts mm. or when we're in menopause become really uncomfortable and we become intolerant of what we have coped yeah. with. For a very yeah. 
Yeah, and maybe that's where I um, meet couples sometimes in the therapy room is that it, it then becomes a problem, yeah. that it has been okay until then. Um, and now it becomes intolerable. And I think sometimes for the partner, because it's not happening to them, they're a passenger maybe or part of that experience and they're not experiencing the inner changes. I wonder if it can feel really disorientating for partners, mm. not knowing what's going on. Because what I often hear from partners is, I just want them to be happy and I don't know how. Mm. I just want my partner to be happy. And what I was doing before was okay and now it's not and I don't get it. Um, and I imagine that is scary, disorientating, infuriating. Mm. Yeah. In, our, in my seasonal model, we call the first phase of menopause, so perimenopause, which is the long, usually the longest bit and the most challenging, is called separation. And that's because the desire is to separate away from the world uh -huh. and separate away from people. Yeah. <laughs> so you can see where there might be a problem because one person yeah. who might have been doing, may, may, may not have done, who, but who might have been the moving towards person Mm. becomes the moving away person mm -hmm. distance in the partnership mm -hmm. oh yeah well what makes sense to me out of that is that I guess we get into um a flow of relationship and so what we perceive then is the disconnect was one partner's pulling away there's the scare maybe that I'm I experience a lot in the therapy room or hear people talking about our partners are disconnecting from us mm. and it's part of that separation and it's needed um, and it's almost like an energy force yeah. so I imagine how that then unsettles the dynamic of the relationship mm. and possibly threatens their relationship because mm. it feels like a crisis if you have an angry it's woman a crisis pulling away <laughs> yeah it's a rupture yeah so what what Let's start with the person who is pulling away. What can the person who needs space? Mm -hmm. And I, I really want to say that the desire for space in perimenopause is a natural corrective. It is absolutely what is required because there's healing work to be done. So this is really natural mm -hmm. and normal, even though it feels like a crisis. So what can, what can the perimenopause person say to their partner to help them understand that they need space oh, you just said it it sounds like there, there it was capture that and say that exactly that i i think of it as like this is a life phase it's not a threat to the relationship it's a necessary part of that person's growth and it is impacting both people so if you can as a couple find a um, common language you don't have to talk about in depth, but finding a common language for the person to describe what's going on for them, then I think that allays a lot of those fears in the partner. Can you say a bit more about what that common language might look like? Um, well, maybe it's a reflection for the person experiencing that of how they describe what's happening for them. So I hear maybe women talk about, um, I'm really angry. And then the partner buys into that story. Really what's happening to them is maybe I don't have enough space. Okay. Um, I'm feeling really disorientated. I feel lost. I'm hurting. I'm scared. So I think if the person can find a language that they're able to share with their partners, that opens up the possibility for conversation. 
And that I think brings the threat down that we were talking about. It's not a rupture to the relationship. It is a part of a part of life's journey that really impacts both partners. So what I'm hearing is, is that, well, what, what I understand by that in my relationship is that I take, I kind of, it's like, it's like opening a tin of beans. <laughs> I have, a, I have this kind of tin opener from the top of my head. Yeah. And I take off kind of the top layer of, you idiot. Yes. <laughs> you bloody forgot and I, you're supposed to and all the kind of blame. Yeah. I, if I'm lucky, I mean, this doesn't always happen, but I can take, sometimes I can take off the top layer of blame. Yeah. With my tin opener. And then, then there's the, oh, because I feel let down and I'm exhausted. Yeah, and I'm lonely. Yeah, I, when I can communicate that bit, you yeah. should in language that is about that names it in the first person. Then that helps. Then that helps, and part of that I think is knowing that the stories that we tell ourselves. So where that person can open the can of beans and then look at the stories. I mean, some of the stories that I tell myself are really harmful to me, mm. um, because of what you're saying—the need to separate and those old wounds resurfacing I can really go back into those old narratives that I know are not useful to me so when I throw that at my partner it's not okay for either of us mm. so you're so, but you're talking about quite a fine level of self-awareness there the stories that you tell yourself not being helpful stories from the past you would have to have done a bit of work in order to be aware of those um, I feel, yeah, and it's the pause button, I guess, even if even without the awareness of what's gone on before, or because I think you're, you know, that phase is of perimenopause, especially is disorientating. So we may not have that awareness or self-awareness. It's more of pressing pause and looking at the narrative, writing down the story, what you're saying to yourself in the head, in your head. I mean, one of the things I do is I literally go and look at myself in the mirror and say it out loud mm. and watch my face. Um, so I so think that can I be useful I don't want for to me. intrude on your stories, but mm -hmm. can you give like an example of what, what that might sound like? Um, it might be things like I can be, I'll be caught in a story about nobody cares. So whoever's in the house at that, mo at that moment nobody cares and I've said this before and he should know because he knows that I'm having a tough, tough time because I said it yesterday mm. and I'll get caught up in that story and I can just repeat that and go around in a cycle if I go and say that to myself in the mirror and then ask so what's going on it's well he doesn't care about me and I'm on my own and then I hear the rest of the story and I don't think we really hear the essence of, of our own story sometimes because we get caught up in the loop. And when I hear that, I have got an interrupter that thinks he's out there actually. If I just go and tell him this, that I don't want to go to the garden centre, which is what happened the other day, he'll just say, all right, don't come. <laughs> but I'd spent all morning in my head thinking, he should know. Mm. Um, so I think that storytelling about what we're telling ourselves, I, I think it can be very reflective or it can be journaling talking to yourself in that's the mirror such a, that's such a great tip to talk to yourself in the mirror well I, I feel so I feel so furious about the towels on the floor and 
and I am not, I am not the maid. This is is absolutely my morning. (laughs) You can tell. This this is what happens to me. Yeah. (laughs) Because you can see your facial expressions and the tone of your voice. I could do it for two minutes. Yeah. Whereas getting out my journal of necessity takes a bit more procrastination. Yeah, yeah. That's such a good tip. Thank you. What I find sometimes is I end up laughing at myself because my stories are hilarious and they're so tragic sometimes or grandiose. And that and that makes me laugh on my face. I think, girl, you are so serious. What is that about? <laughs> yeah, there's a touch of the sort of, maybe it depends on the, I grew up with sort of Victorian literature, you know. I'm always yeah. the heroine. <laughs> I love that. I love those films and books. <laughs> The awful. Okay, let's yeah. stop because this is getting way <laughs> too far the other side. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's great. I love that. What I do think about those stories are you get to find out what you're telling yourself underneath. I don't feel cared about. I don't really want to go to the garden center. And I think those are good guides for other times within your cycle. So I think those stories can be really good, useful guides. Mm. So that's why I think of it. Mm. Great if you've got self, you know, that level of self-awareness. Yeah. I think they're useful anyway. Yeah, but, you know, there is something about looking yourself in the face. And you're, you're kind of, it's kind of like holding space for yourself, isn't it? You're holding space to hear, yeah. hear that wounding. Yeah, hear it as well. Uh, hear it out. Uh, howls or garden centres or whatever. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm often very interested in, uh, again, both people. So the person for, for, uh, around menopause and their partners, I'm often very interested in the stories they tell themselves about getting or giving help, support to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, being curious about, I guess, what we're talking about is curiosity. Yeah, yeah. And it, it can be very, it can be when the perimenopause person is in a state of confusion, mm. often they don't know how they, what kind of help they need. I don't yes. know. How, I just want to love, I mean, I was so touched when you said that. I, I just want to, I love you. I just want to help. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Yes. Yeah. And maybe that leads on for me around the earlier we can begin. It's a process, isn't it? It's not like an event. It's not a life event. It's like we're going to suss this out. Mm. So the earlier we can find those common language or get curious into one another's stories and open up a space and hold a space for one another, I think we can learn together. Mm. Because absolutely, I don't know what I need. I know I need something. Mm. so maybe that's the importance of finding that common language that you can open up a space for both people. Yeah, and a good environment as well. Figuring out where it is that you communicate best. Yeah. Like, um, very often it's not not over the dinner table at home. Yes. It's out or driving or on a walk or you know, somewhere else. Yeah. And not yeah, necessarily don't... in a big chunk either. You know, it's not, not necessarily the big conversation. The Sometimes big talk. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, let's go out for dinner. Let's go out for dinner. And you think, no, let's not go out for dinner because you're going to give me the big talk. 
It's like it's like a big big pointy finger, isn't it? The big yeah. Talk. Yeah, let's have a big talk. Rather than this is a long period of life mm. where both, I think, both partners shift and change and it's about loss, of, loss and change of identity and discovery. I think there's a lot of grief in that. There's a lot um, of grief, yeah. Change, joy. Um, I, I mean, changes in that expanding as well. And I think if we have the big talk kind of we've got to learn about this because it's an event, then we lose possibly, partners lose the, um, I can't think the uh, option, I can't think it sounds not really captured it, or the, the ability to grow together. There's something about, we can get a deeper sense of relationship through life, life phases. Mm. Mm. This is a life phase where I think both partners change, even though it's, the menopause is happening to one partner or both. Um, yeah, if, if, um, if, if it's a woman in menopause and they're kind of of the average age, they're going to be in their 50s. Mm-hmm. And men in their 50s have some stuff going on too. Yes. So I like your idea of, you know, if it was a, you went for a walk or you came in and out of these conversations then I think those as the woman is able to more open up about what's going on finding that language telling the stories I think it's an invitation to their partners to do the same um there's a loss of identity around being in our 50s yeah yeah and then and I mean I'm 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 very curious I think that a lot of Mid-life healing gets mm. dumped on menopause. You know, it gets it gets dumped in the yes. basket. But actually, cis men and people of all genders in their fifties are going, "Oh, I'm not going to live forever. <laughs> Time is short." Yeah. Oh my god. So, well, you know, in some sense, to greater or lesser urgency, because I do think the hormonal shift makes it feel more urgent mm. we're all experiencing the same thing life is short what are you going to do with yourself yes what is important now yes yeah and maybe there's something about that urgency isn't it of i was thinking about communication couples communicate you know we're talking about them talking with one another I think sometimes it's less about the communication problem. It's more about a a safety problem. If I feel safe to open this up and you're going to hold a space for me and we're going to be able to decide what's important and find a way forward, I'm going to talk to you way more. Yeah. Um, So it's holding that safe psychological and emotional safety as you unpack menopause. I'm thinking about, you say, cis men, erectile dysfunction, health issues, loss of identity, existential crisis, midlife. Mm. They're all part of, I think, as you say, a lot gets dumped on menopause. Mm. But I think that's happening for us anyway. Mm. And it is something I think couples can do together rather than it being the rupture that erupts in the relationship. Well, what I observe happens with with menopause, it's a, a sensitive time and incompleted incomplete healing cycles i.e most most of the healing like everything yeah <laughs> because there isn't a completion in in my view of those things that there's the healing cycles come up for attention more 
in that mm. time. Mm-hmm. So people quite often get triggered, re-triggered into their trauma by particular things happening or things in their relationship or in their world or they tell themselves the same the same story becomes more becomes louder if they get yeah. a job about being no good and you never work hard enough and or whatever the story is yeah and i think it's very good for menopause people but also for partners to know that that, mm-hmm. that this stuff is likely to come up often in very surprising and challenging ways very challenging yeah. Um, but it's coming up to be healed you know it's not coming I don't feel that it comes up as as a disruptive force yes I think that's really good to know isn't it that it's almost like this is meant to happen this is part of the process and maybe that's as a partner I would want to know it's not really about me it might sound about me sometimes because of the towels on the floor of the garden center it's not about me it's about something that's being brought into our relationship that needs attending to and maybe for partners to reflect on um, what do they want to do about that? Mm. You know, it's, it's not about fixing the problem. Mm. It might be about picking up the towels. <laughs> but really, it sounds like it's about more than that mm. and attending to that need, that need, mm. rather than the want of the towels, maybe. Mm. staying with the towels I think that sounds I don't know useful for partners for me of it's not really about you yeah and also how do you support yourself in that because it can be turbulent it's turbulent for the person in menopause Mm. so what's the you know you're knowing your own limitations you can't keep giving and you're going to get fed up you're going to snap back you're going to be confused giving what you can but not too much, not all, you know, not all of yourself. Mm. And I think, I think it's in, you know, in, in cis heterosexual couples in a fairly, you know, in a kind of conventional uh, nuclear style family, mm. it's a great time to change all that up. <laughs> it's a yeah. great time just to say, actually, this is not working. Yes. It takes yes. a village to do this stuff. What are we going to do? Yeah. Maybe that's the joy of growing at every age. Mm-hmm. It is disruptive. It's purposefully disruptive for the person in menopause. It's purpose. This is happening for a reason. Um, and in, therefore in the relationship, there's an op- there is a growth happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Second spring, you can continue to grow. This is not the end of, oh, maybe there's something about that. This, you know, we've worked so hard to get here and everything's stable now. 50s, kids are growing off and da-da-da-da-da. And then yeah. this happens. Yeah, but that's the thing. No, 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 that's it, that's it, that's it. That thing that you said, that's it. We think that we've arrived somewhere. Yes. That's the thing. We think we've been swimming. Oh, I've been doggy paddling. <laughs> Yeah, for 50 years. It's very hard work, doggy paddling. I have to say, and mm-hmm. um, I feel like I've arrived somewhere. Oh, I finally know who I am. Finally I, got here. I finally that. Hopefully, unless you had kids later, the kids are can wipe their own asses and things are just kind yeah. of just about containable and. Mm-hmm. And then this this change. <laughs> 
then there's this thing and they go oh. erupting and it's just like it's kind of a feeling of outrage that that, that it should be <laughs> that we we were misled yes I think that's true you know of that whole why now after all we've been through but I thought we'd sorted this I thought everything was okay and why are you bringing that up now those kinds of conversations it's like yeah, the, the, and maybe there's the sadness for me sometimes with couples is I think our relationships are our whole life through. And the idea for me that we've arrived anywhere yeah. just makes makes me sad. I think, mm. well, what, what are you giving up then? Mm. Um, there's a, I think that's why I mean the joy of growing together. Mm. Um, I do a Margot therapy in Harville Hendricks says we're born in relationship um we're wounded in relationship we heal in relationship and if we're lucky we die in relationship and I I just like that because it's the whole life through Mm. where the hell are we trying to get to yes well yes and how um how grandiose is that to think that we know yeah think that we are so what's that I can't remember Marianne Williamson I can't remember to think that we are so small (laughs) yeah yeah do you think it takes a level though of 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 something I can't think of the word to um embrace what we're talking about Mm. courage willingness well I think that you have to have practically um it helps if you are well supported if you have extra if you have extra stresses in your life if you have um small children or dependents or you care for somebody or your finances if you're really pushed for money Mm. or you are under threat then there is very little leeway yes you know on on i don't believe this on some level it's a place of privilege i think yeah Yes, that's what was in my mind then of, yeah, this is, this all sounds good. However, but <laughs> real life, uh, that all sounds like blue sky thinking. Real life says, what can we do with what we've got? Yeah. Because one of the things I think about is um, outsourcing where possible. So maybe in partners, you can't be everything. You can't give that level of support. Friends have to be drafted in find a menopause mentor something or a group or in encouraging our partners to go and discover mm. what else there is to support them because it can't we can't get it all from the relationship I think it's I think that's one of the main one of the real <laughs> real um trip hazard with relationships that you look to your partner for everything yeah or for too much or for things that they can't provide mm-hmm. mm. to be the endless support and actually who wants to do that? <laughs> well, I wonder if that adds to the threat because where you have been a unit mm. and then there's that separation, pulling away and then investing in other things, outsourcing support. Mm. I think that often could be threatening to the partner. So knowing that, you know, I would encourage partners to encourage the outsourcing. as mm. It doesn't have to be financial. Things, social media has a, a wonderful podcasting. Mm. There are lots of things that we can access. Yeah that encouraging our partners to go and discover and find out what is out there to help them support 
where they're at, but also where they want to be. As you say, that this whole transition mm. period of life is about discovering ourselves again. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes partners can be threatened by that because we've always been a unit and now you're going to go off and change. And maybe the partner doesn't want to change or likes things the way they are, and the equilibrium. But, gets but I think that's really common. That 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 um, many many relationships. I think the, the majority of divorces instigated by women happen in this period, in this ten-year mm-hmm. period, forty-five to fifty-five. Mm-hmm. And what I observe is a process of accelerated growth and desire yes. for change, yeah. and the other partner. Well, who knows? <laughs> My fantasy is the other partner doesn't want change. Yes. So what, what can you offer for people in that situation where one partner is, I'm, I'm about to open my shirt, right. oh, I don't stand back. <laughs> Ta-da! Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other partner's going, no, I, I need to stay at home and have this happening and regular and small and safe. Yeah. It's a tough one, isn't it? I think, well, I'm going to say this because I'm a couples therapist. There is support. I think it is about finding yourself some support of listening, finding podcasts, audiobooks, therapy, psychoeducational workshops. It's a bit like for the person who doesn't want to change of maybe, again, that story is finding the common language. That's all right. We don't all have to be, you know, wide open in the world. Um, but to know the impact that that has on the other. So it's like, you don't have to change and to know that therefore there's a limitation. Mm -hmm. And also for the person who is, you know, blowing the tops off and ready to go, (laughs) knowing the impact of that. So I think in couplehood, there's honouring our differences. Mm -hmm. You've probably had that dynamic in your relationship for a long time where one is more outward and the other one's, you know, quieter or more, more introverted or inner. Um, in the relationship and doesn't really like change and seeing that there's the uncomfortableness for couples you don't have to do things together I I started this by saying if you can do it together great because I think there's an opportunity to grow but maybe that goes back to like honoring where you're at Um, and if you can share that and it's safe to share it psychologically and emotionally safe to say I don't like it don't like the change mm. that can be okay that doesn't mean that the other person can't go off and explore and change and grow mm. and I wonder if that growth is messy because for me I don't know what it's going to look like mm. so it's it's holding that tension I guess within the relationship and I often think the relationship is the space between you it's not the individual so if one changes and one doesn't that's okay but it's how that impacts the space between you. That's, that's, I'm very interested in that. Can you say more about the space between? Um, I think often we think from an individual perspective, I am, you are doing something that's annoying me, or I am hurt by something that you've said, and it's a very individual view. And where both people are doing that, we're trying to get our needs met, doing the best we can. And we're gonna get triggered in old familiar ways where couples can see the relationship as the space between you and I, and we equally contribute and take things out of the relationship space, then it's about holding that space as sacred. That's the air we breathe. 
the family space, the space the kids grow up. And so both are partners are responsible for holding that space mm. um, and where and both are impacted by whatever you put into it. So it's like a collective, the collective agreement about how you do relationship. Yeah, Something it's like you that. and I and the relationship. Mm. It's you and I and our relationship. And where we can make pay attention to the relationship by talking about what each of us wants or needs or what's going on for us and sharing that, then the relation, both people in the benefit, but the relationship is going to feel much more steady. Mm. And I think we, understandably, it's a human thing really, we're focused on I mm. and not the relationship. Mm. And it takes all that personal, I think with menopause, often with partners, it isn't personal. Mm. Or the person experiencing the menopause where it's chaotic, um, you're not doing anything. You're not causing problems. You're not, I don't know, being being a problem. Mm. And you are contributing to something, a dynamic in your relationship. Maybe it encourages more ownership. Mm. What's my part in this? Mm. And I think that encourages curiosity. Mm. Yeah, curiosity. That comes up at the end of these pod chats. I ask people about top tips for an inner life. Just, just flagging that uh, kind of my my evil trick. Um, and the number of times people talk about curiosity. Yeah, I think two or three people have. Yeah, I, I think what we do is question. We question, and I, uh, you know, the the whys for me are interesting, and sometimes they are. Um, critical. Why am why are why am I so angry? Rather than the curiosity would be, how come I'm so angry? What is going on for me? Mm. Um, so that, that, that that's the curiosity for me of how am I impacting my partner? Mm. How can I let them know what I need when I don't even know? Mm. Can we talk um, about sex, please? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Because there's this there's this myth that um, menopauses go off sex, mm -hmm. and that in older in later life and second spring and summer that there's there's dryness and a kind of there's a whole like there's a whole there's, there's like a ten thousand elephants of, of misogynistic judgment <laughs> pooing on us. Okay. And that has not been my experience. Um, however, the separation part mm. of um, the process means that we need distance. And we may not want to be touched or engage in, in anything very physical for a while. Yeah. And also, another part of it is that our, our vulvas and our sensitivity changes mm -hmm. at this time. So we probably find that we want to, what has been working, like yeah. in a relationship, you know, like it's Wednesday, so I put the bins out, 
and then, then we go to bed. And we have sex. It's not going to work anymore. Yes. And this introduces a whole other level of confusion and feeling of rejection. Yes. And inadequacy, I would imagine. And inadequacy. Can you? That's a, that's a, that's a giant question. That's a massive question, <laughs> isn't it? How, how do people have better sex? Um, I do think it's about planning it. You know, I'm a big planner about relationships and people say, isn't that romantic? No, it makes sure things happen. Mm. So if at certain parts of your cycle or at certain parts for you that you know that you are going to be more sexual or that you definitely don't want or you want to be touched in a different way, I think, first of all, it's about you getting, you know, the person getting to know that for themselves first. Mm. Because I, I wonder if there's a lot of shame. That's why I said about the... Um, you know, the interpretation of how we see that there's rejection, but also in that inadequacy if you can't have sex on a Wednesday anymore or in that same spontaneous way or whatever, um, there's that self-discovery. So I think it does need to be planned more. Couples who talk about sex have more sex. Mm. Um, and it is about discovering, I liked what you said, that maybe the sex that you've enjoyed until now, you don't enjoy anymore and it needs to be different. Mm to curiosity mm. are you willing to get curious about that are you willing to explore and find out are you willing to express some of that mm. because I agree with you I don't hear I don't hear I hear less of I don't want sex and more of I want different sex or I now know what sex I want it's like now I know finally I know mm. um, but to that kind of, I suppose, one partner exploding with um, yeah. knowing what they know. And, the other and again, if, if, you, if you've been in a relationship where you have, where, where you haven't spoken about what you want and where there haven't, you, uh, yes. there isn't the common space and there isn't the shared language to talk about so yeah. then how are you going to communicate at that time when it's all yeah. everything has completely changed by nation. yeah and I think what happens is there's a layer of shame that gets in the way we're too ashamed to talk about things especially if you hadn't before mm. we it's common I guess for in couplehood we we don't talk about things until we have to we don't give our <laughs> relationship <laughs> that's Joanna I'd really rather not <laughs> There's so many other interesting things to do. I'd just rather not until yeah. I really have to. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to do that until I really have to. And then when I've got to, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> and I'm in the middle of a shit storm and now I needed that common language way of saying things. Yeah. Really, yeah. We make, I think we make it so difficult for ourselves. That's why I think start the earlier, the better. Mm. How, they're uncomfortable, but they're only for a while. Mm talking about sex is uncomfortable but for only for a while it is but it's actually when you when you get into it it's kind of fine it's it's more it's more the shame the the stuff the the stuff that holds us back the shame and the beliefs and the fear and yes that's the hard bit yes and and i wonder if that is part of the the holding back that if i talk about it we're going to stop having sex altogether mm. we'll never be able to find a way our sex life is over and again, back to, I guess, there's so much great information out there that you could listen to together or 
I've got a great sex survey in one of in a book that I read. I think it's brilliant of, of where you're different mm. um, and understanding sometimes how you talk about it, but sometimes how it feels. There's great resources. Oh, can you can you name can you um, this one? Maybe I, maybe, maybe I can put them in the. You, you can think about. Yeah, them I think it's called "Sex Lies and the Something of in, and the Dangers of Intimacy." Sex Lies and the Dangers <laughs> of Intimacy. A it's a great title. Or um, "Hot Monogamy" by Pat Love. Okay. You know, they've just got some is that great really, is that, things. Is that their real name? Honestly, Doctor Love. No, no. True story. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> I just think this is part of the growth of if we've been embarrassed or shamed to talk about sex until now, now we're in our 50s, go do it. Mm. If it's important to you. Mm. Maybe some part some partners do agree not to have a sex life, and that's all right too. Mm. It's more how do you keep the intimacy alive if that's the non-sexual intimacy alive whilst you're not having sex? Mm. I think it's important too. Mm. Again, it's about nurturing that relationship space, isn't it? So what what yeah. what can we what can we put in there to nourish and to yeah. keep that alive and vital? Yeah. Because I wonder if, you know, for the person experiencing menopause, the withdrawal means sex is too much. I can't do that. I don't want to. And so everything goes with it. There's no sitting on the sofa together. There's no hand holding when you go for a walk. There's no hugs. Mm. because the fear that it will lead to sex rather than having more open agreements of this is this is non-sexual intimacy and this is sex mm. sexual intimacy mm. and it doesn't have to be the same yeah that's a great tip too yeah so we're coming up to <laughs> towards the end um I've, actually i've got a question did in your training do you were you did they talk about menopause? Did they talk about cycles and menopause in psychotherapy training? No. Can we change that, please? Oh, wouldn't you just love to? Wouldn't you? Um, I cannot tell you the amount, in supervision, I cannot tell you the amount of times that I have had supervisees talk about, female talk, supervisees who've said, what do I do at certain times in my cycle? Because I'm irritated to my clients. And I think, bonkers, why isn't it part of our training? I did actually, did some CPD, it's part of national conferences and things. One two-hour workshop. Wow! It's incredible, and it's not you know that was through choice. Mm. So it absolutely needs to be part of what we do as mm. professionals. Let's hope that there are some psychotherapy trainers out there or education providers listening to this, because mm. once once clients track their cycle they'll, they'll see that every every day 21 or 25 or whatever yeah they want to kill their partner yeah on the dot yeah. every month yeah and it's not psychotic and they can plan for it absolutely and I know since I've been making it part of my practice for the past couple of years all partners are more than willing to talk about it once they get over the discomfort if mm. there is any then that normalising and the relief that, all right, today I want to burn the world, but in two days' time, I'll be all right again. Yeah. And also um, for partners to understand the gifts that are available to, for them. Yes. Yes. You know, if you, if you, if you want 
You know, every household has, has the drawer of shite with the batteries and the elastic. Yeah. If you want the drawer of shite tidied, do it in premenstrual in autumn time. Yeah. Yeah. And and choose and choosing those times, I think, has been certainly for my part a relief. It's like, oh, now I know. And I don't have to give great detail. It's just, it's those three or four days. And so I'm going to be quiet. Mm. What I really and if, if you want a hot, if you want to have hot sex, then, you know, 14, yeah. 13, 14. Exactly. Yeah. On the table, in the car, wherever. <laughs> totally up for it. A week later, I won't, I won't like you again. <laughs> but it'll, and, and maybe there's the predictability. Brains love predictability because that will come around again. Yeah. It's, like it's not our only chance to have sex and intimacy. Mm. It's going to keep coming around and the predictability of the seasons. Yeah. Um, and we just have a different relationship in each season. And that's lovely. Yeah. What can be lovely. Yeah. Let's, let's change the change the education system. Hurrah. Definitely, definitely. Okay. I think it's hit about me with your, Hit me with your top tip. Hit me with your top tip. I know it's evil and reductive and something easy that people can implement in their relationship. Oh, I was like, don't do easy. It's always like the thing that came to my mind was trust your partner to find their own way. They will find their way. Um, that's not a top tip, is it? That's not easy. I think the top tip is to um, learn learn and get to know what you want to know about menopause. Rather than it being something that happens to the other person, it's like, go and find out. Go and learn about it. You could probably bring some good information back. Mm. And therefore you're not so out, out of it or in the dark. Right. And you also get the, the gift, I think, of being able to see it one step removed. Mm. Um, that's been useful to me, actually, my partner did that, and that was useful to me, mm. to hear his reflections on what he was learning. Um, yeah, go learn for yourself. Awesome. And then you get to witness your partner in a state of vulnerability and openness. Yes. And what a privilege that is, you know? Yes. And to be there with them, to hold a space for them, be with them. I wonder if that's really what we need. Mm. Somebody to hold a space and be with us. And I think partners are more than willing to do that. Did you listen with your partner? Did you have it on secretly in the kitchen? Oh God, I do hope so. Or perhaps you can use some of those great tips. I've been um, uh, having lots of fun moaning to myself in the mirror. It's very hard to take myself seriously when I do that. Anyway, you can find Joanna on Instagram where she has fabulous advice on how to do relationships at, at relationful. That's relationful. And I'd love to know how you're doing. How are you coping? What works for you? Um, and what did your partner think about the, about the podcast? Please come and tell me over at Instagram at Kate underscore Codrington and let me know what's working for you. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be brilliant if you could share it with a friend who might enjoy it or even leave a review. That would be fantastic. 
And don't forget to join me very soon for another exciting adventure into our inside worlds. Mm -hmm.